Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. Uh, this is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I'm your host, Doris Hansen. And tonight we have with us three guests that we're going... No, wait a minute. We're, we have one guest with us tonight, and we're going to be talking... Uh, well, you know, we may have three guests with it. Oh, you know, that's it's so difficult to wrap our minds around something that we call the Trinity. Is it one or is it three or what is it? And we are going to discuss that tonight. You know, almost every, if not every, non-Christian religion who wants to align themselves with Christianity and identify themselves as Christians will deny the most critical and the basic and fundamental doctrine of Christianity, and that is the doctrine of the Trinity. Our culture, both Mormon and the Mormon fundamentalists, deny the Trinity. And yet Jesus, in John chapter 8, verse 24, said, and I quote, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Anyone who dies in their sins is eternally doomed. Jesus claimed to be God, and we must believe who he is if we desire to go where he's at, and of course, that's in heaven. And for those who say, well, what does it matter who we believe Jesus is or isn't? We believe he died for our sins, and that makes us okay. But Jesus himself said it matters. And so tonight, to help polygamists and anyone else who truly desire to know the truth that will set them free, we are going to discuss a freshness of approach to the doctrine of the Trinity as taught in the Bible. And for that discussion, our guest is pastor of Main Street Church of Brigham City. He's been on our show several times before to help us understand biblical concepts more clearly. So I would like to introduce and welcome back our guest, Pastor Jim Catlin. Good to be here again. This Thank is great. you again. Yeah, it is great. It's, it's always, fun to be back. Always yeah. good to approach biblical difficult. We're going to do a big one tonight. Uh, controversial <laughs> biblical doctrines. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you know, we usually always get a ton of calls uh, from or, or emails um, when the Trinity is even just barely mentioned oh, yeah. for some reason on oh, the yeah. show. But people say, seem to get angry or they misunderstand it, and so they they respond sometimes in anger. But tonight, you've got a fresh approach. Well, I hope um, so. <laughs> well, I think it is. It's a very good approach of, of the biblical doctrine of God who has revealed himself as yeah. one God in three people. Um, for centuries, this has been, yeah, um, been referred to as a trinity. Now, we're going to be using the Bible for explanation, but isn't it true that the word trinity is not in the Bible anywhere? Yeah, and, and let's get that one, get that off the deck immediately. A lot of people complain and say, well, the Trinity is not, a, it's not biblical because you can't find the word. But there's a lot of words of things that we believe in. And even our you know, the followers of Joseph Smith, they believe in a lot of things that aren't there. In fact, I made a list. I just made a quick list of words that, that maybe a lot of our viewers believe in, but it's not in the Bible. So check out this list right here. I found out that even the word agency is not in the, anywhere in the Bible. Uh, apostasy is not. The great apostasy, the apostasy is not. Council in heaven, celestial kingdom, celestial marriage, terrestrial kingdom. I mean, all that stuff is just not in 
the Bible anywhere. And yet, I would dare say that most of our viewers watching right now believe most of these terms. So, I mean, mm -hmm. you can't just take the cheap shot and say, Trinity, it's not in the Bible, the word's not in the Bible, so it's a false man-made kind of idea. But mm -hmm. I, I think what we need to understand is, even though the word's not in the Bible, uh, the concept is. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're going to try and look it at is. right now, it because is. all those other things, you can find those concepts in many places, but the Trinity is there, but the word isn't. The word isn't there. Well, yeah. the word polygamy is not in the Bible. Polygamy is not in the Bible. And yet, yeah. the, the people don't have any difficulty believing that That's right. That yeah, that's exactly culture. right. So let's just get away from the word. <laughs> and uh, realize that we're gonna look for the concept. Okay, yeah. so so the word Trinity then, where did it come from originally? Well, a lot of people, and I don't know where this comes from, a lot of people have challenged me and said, well, that was just made up in the Council of Nicaea in 325. It wasn't, in fact, the word was, was actually in circulation for almost 150 years before that by this guy named Tertullian. And he was also, at the same time as much of the Christian community while they were in persecuted uh, Rome, uh, trying to figure out what's a handy way to talk about who God is. And so Tertullian pretty much coined the term. By the time 150 years later you get to Nicaea, uh, in Nicaea they did talk about who Jesus was, but they didn't really talk about the Trinity. I mean, they had a five-point agenda at Nicaea. And we were talking earlier, we should look at this sometime, because yeah. most people criticize it without knowing what it is. Yeah, we'll have to do but, that. Uh, but the first item of the five was, who exactly is Jesus? And, uh, and they debated that. But in terms of coming up with a concrete, you know, rounded idea of the Trinity, mm -hmm. That wasn't really central, but talking about who Jesus was, mm -hmm. that was that very was. central. Yeah. So why did they invent a word? Isn't there a simple way to describe God without coming up with a new word? A simple way to describe God. <laughs> well, if God was like me, yeah, it would be a simple way to do it, but God's not like me. Uh, no, actually, the, the Trinity comes from, if you, do, if you do a study of the Bible, which is what these guys who came together in Nicaea did in 325, they are good Bible scholars, and you, and you go through it and you look for characteristics of who God is, you'll come up with three elements of who God is. And I'm going to put these on the screen right now. These are the three essential elements that you find when you go through the Bible. Number one, there's only one God. That's emphatic in the Bible. Mm -hmm. There's only one God. Right. But also God is three persons. Mm -hmm. And yet each person is fully God. To have the Trinity, you have to buy into all three of those things. And we buy into all those three of those things, not because someone in Nicaea said that's what we want it to be. Uh, they put those three together because that's what the Bible says. That's what the says. Bible says. Yeah, that's exactly. what the Bible says. So really, Trinity is a word, is a, is a constructed word that means tri-unity. So okay. try for three, uh -huh. one for one. Because uh -huh. we just saw on the screen, there's a three and there's a one. So it's a tri-unity. So it's a made-up word. We'll admit that. Mm -hmm. But the concept is very much there. Three persons, but only one God. So, so there's a tension there, and the word of the truth is clear that one does not equal three. Can you give us an example about that from the Bible? Yeah, and in fact, this is one that they, that they wrestled with at Nicaea and ever since then. It's a great, you don't even have to barely open the Bible, the very first page, and you have this issue. So we'll work this through, uh -huh. and you'll see what we're dealing with. Because when we talk about the Trinity, it's really an honest, it's a very honest attempt to try and capture this, I don't know, paradox in a sense. So let me just illustrate it okay. for you. If we go, go to Genesis 1, it happened in the creation. Um, Genesis 1, uh, we see right here in Genesis 1, 1, it's the creation story. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Notice so far, God's the one who created. Mm -hmm. God created, mm -hmm. so that's okay. Mm -hmm. Darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So mm -hmm. what, what are we talking here? Heavenly Father or the Spirit? Because we got... 
God and God's and, spirit. And spirit. So right. even from the outset, we come into the Bible, and it looks like there's more than one person involved in creation, mm -hmm. although it says God's the one who created them. Mm -hmm. And then if you move on a little bit further down in Genesis 1, the creation story, you get to Genesis 1, 26, and again, a strange thing. God said, let us, let us, let us make man in our, our image after our likeness. Sounds mm -hmm. kind of plural to it me. It does, does. Hmm. Uh, Genesis 3.22, more about the creation of man. The Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. Us. So, mm -hmm. so it sounds like there's a crowd going on here at creation. Yeah. <laughs> Some kind of plurality going on. And uh, you could say, because of Genesis 1.1, well, maybe we're just talking about Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit, because they're both mentioned in, in passing. Right. But, I, but the crowd gets a little thicker. So, in fact, if we go to John 1... Uh, John says in John 1, 3, he says, All things were made by him, talking about Christ, and without him, Christ, was not anything made that was made. Okay. okay. Uh, and then Paul goes on in Colossians and reinforces Jesus' presence and necessity in the creation. Colossians 1, 16, For by him all things were created. Now we're talking Jesus. Right. By him all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Mm -hmm. So we do have a crowd. Yes, we do. <laughs> it seems so. like we have Heavenly Father, we have the Spirit, and Jesus is there. You're right. So maybe the plurality that we're reading about in Genesis is, is about these three. When it says us... Yeah, that would be the yes. And that would people. that would be a natural conclusion. And in fact, when when uh, Joseph Smith, uh, when he writes uh, and pens Abraham, the book of Abraham, that's in the Pearl of Great Price, he reinforces this. I mean, big time. You go to chapter four in Abraham. I'll just I just pulled out one verse for you, and this is this is how he looks at it. He says in Abraham four one. And then the Lord said, let us go down. And they went down at the beginning. And they, that is the gods, uh -huh. plural, organized and formed the heavens and the earth. Hmm. So Joseph Smith tends to agree that there was a crowd at creation. <laughs> Not just <laughs> Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus, but gods. No, he had a bigger crowd. <laughs> yeah, gods, plural. So now, you know, there's a crowd going on right here. And so we, it's very clear whether you accept what Joseph Smith wrote or not, I don't accept it. But even still, even still in Genesis, in the Bible, there's this plurality. So there's just a lot of people there. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe a lot of gods? I don't know. Um, but then um, a surprising thing happens. And, and I just want, I'm not going to, I'll just put this up on the screen. A surprising thing happens when you read in Isaiah. And Isaiah 44, 24 uh, kind of blows your mind in the midst of all this plurality. Isaiah 44, 24 says... Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, uh, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, mm -hmm. that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. Right. Sounds like one guy. It does. At creation, rather than a crowd. Right. And so therein you start to see the issue that pops up all through the Bible. Uh, is it a plurality? Yes. Is it one? Yes. yes. And, and this is just one of many examples you can find in the Bible where you say, I have to figure out how to make this work. In Nicaea and before and after, people have been wrestling with, how do you say this easily? And so that's where the Trinity comes from. It's trying to explain that, not because one big guy in authority says, this is how I want it to be, 
but because people are wrestling in an honest way to say, how do we capture what the Bible says what about the, the Bible nature of says God? About it. Not some authorities. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So now some of our viewers at this point might be thinking that the Bible has been hopelessly tampered with. Hopelessly and that's tampered. where there's the tension of there being one alone right. and yet many during the, the creation. Is there any evidence of biblical tampering? Yeah, and we've talked about this before. It, it, the tampering at that scale would would leave lots of evidence behind. But you'll find tonight I'm quoting deliberately a lot of out of Isaiah. Well, mm -hmm. I'll give you some more in a few minutes. And why Isaiah? Because Isaiah uh, was in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm -hmm. It is the only book of the Bible that they have in its entirety in the Dead Sea mm -hmm. Scrolls. In its entirety, back back to front. So, right. um, And what's the significance of the, of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Well, the Dead Sea Scrolls that we dug out in the late 1940s in Israel were penned over 100 years before Jesus lived. Yeah. So if someone's going to tamper with it, they were going to have to tamper with it before Jesus, but not after Jesus. And the, you know, the common complaint is, after the apostles died after Jesus, then bad men came in and they messed with the Bible. Right. Well, not what was buried in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Right, it's all there. So they couldn't tamper with that. So we're going to read a lot of uh, out of Isaiah because it's well represented in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And it's in Isaiah where so many, many times, and so very clearly it talks about there being only one God. Yeah. Yeah, and he's emphatic about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, very a, much it's so. a very big deal. That's why it's number one on that list, the three list I had at the beginning. Number one, there's only one God. And so even as you come across uh, the Abraham 4 passage, and it's all of Abraham 4 actually that in the Pearl of Great Price, there's gods everywhere. Gods, yeah. gods, 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 with lots of S's. Yeah. Well, that sort of violates what we read what, in Isaiah. What we read in the Strongly in the Bible, so. In but. fact, let me, let me give you another one right here. Um, this is Isaiah 44, if, just so you can see what we're talking about. Isaiah 44, verse 6, uh, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Don't, you don't, let that stick in for a while. Beside me there is no God. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee that that time, and have declared it? You are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. That's pretty clear. Yeah, that's pretty clear. And in fact, um, Joseph Smith's idea of God about him being an exalted man and stuff like that means that the present God of, of our place right here, that the Mormons believe, he must, have had a, he must have had a mortal existence before he became God. And when he had that mm -hmm. mortal existence, he must have had a God of his universe. Yes. Which means now in Isaiah 44, he's denying ever knowing that that God that existed. There's any other God at all. So that's right. not good. <laughs> and how would a God, if he was really a God, not know if there were other gods? Exactly, exactly. So, so God's being quite emphatic. He doesn't want to be misunderstood. There is only one God, and, uh, and he's going to say it over and over and over. So again, we're, we're stuck with this. Then how do we explain the fact that we see some plurality and yet there is only one God. Only one God. So don't, you can't violate the only one God thing. That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's the, the one of the clearest messages. Yeah. And God is the one who, re who reveals himself. We can't change who he says he is. He that's reveal, right. He's self-revealing. So to summarize, you're saying that the concept of the Trinity is in the Bible. Even if the word isn't there, the teaching is there. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I think, um, let, me, let me do one more passage here while I'm thinking of it as well. Mm -hmm. uh, Isaiah 46, I think we have this on a graphic. Um, yeah, Isaiah 46, verse 5, is verses 5 and 9. Just to really drive this home, because this is such an important thing about God being one. So, this is God speaking in the first person again. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be like? 
uh, and he's, you know, rhetorically saying there isn't anyone you can compare him to. Mm -hmm. uh, verse 9, remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. So even if there's God wannabes, God says, uh, no, I don't think so. So there's, when they say, no we want to learn to be like God. Then you're they, trading they on can't, Isaiah. They can't even do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't even do that. So that's really, it's a dangerous thing. So, um, no, you don't want to do that. Uh, let me, just for contrast, since that's the one God statements from Isaiah, let me tell you how, how strongly Joseph Smith says there's many gods. And uh, this has been debated when I have just standard conversations. But here's what he says in the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith. It's on page 370. Joseph Smith himself says, I have always declared God to be a distinct personage, Jesus Christ, a separate and distinct personage from God the Father and the Holy Ghost with a distinct personage and a spirit. And these three constitute three distinct personages and three gods. Again, there's a, there's a strong violation of what Isaiah and all the Bible says of there being only one God in that case. So, so now we have a strong conflict, not between Joseph Smith and the Trinity, but Joseph Smith and just the plurality of God. Mm -hmm. that, that's, mm -hmm. that's where we really start to have tremendous problems. So that's the way Joseph Smith looked at the Trinity uh, and, and taught, that, of course, that there were many gods. Did, now, he taught that there are many gods, but did he connect those, those gods with men like the Greeks and the Romans? Yeah, see, that's an interesting connection. When you, when you start moving away from a biblical definition of God, it, it opens up some interesting things, like where did God come from? Maybe God is just sort of like me if I get really, really good. You know, and, and so sure enough, when you go through the panoply of different pagan ideas about God, you go to the Roman gods, or you go to the Greek gods, they all have, a, they all have this human connection. Mm -hmm. um, they, they're somehow part of this creation, but just sort of elevated in a sense. And, uh, and, and, and basically, the men of the culture of that time, they anthropomorphize their ideas of God. That is, instead of, instead of man being made in God's image, they make God in man's image. That's a, that's a chief mark of what goes on. I, I sometimes wonder if that's where Joseph Smith got his idea that we could become God, we, that God first started as a man yeah, and we I, could I think become so. God. I think so, because it's just a common, it, it's a common mistake if you're not really bathing your mind in what the Word says, uh, because yeah. it just opens the door to maybe I can become a God. I mean, maybe if this God has a, a human-like origin and I'm a human, maybe there's some connection there. And it starts, it starts to entertain the idea that maybe I could go where he went, but he just went there before me. Mm -hmm. um, Joseph Smith taught this. I mean, here's another quote I found. Again, it's from Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, um, page 345. But uh, he's quite, Smith is quite blatant right here. So if you're a follower of Joseph Smith, listen to how much this is not from what we read in the Bible just a second ago. He says, we've imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see he was once a man like us. Yea, that God, the Father of us all, dwelt on an earth the same as Jesus Christ himself did, and I will show it from the Bible. And but he for, never did show I've it. I've been from looking the Bible. for that. <laughs> I, in fact, if any of the callers have run across where he shows it in the Bible, I'd love to see that. Yeah, because me too. Uh, he says he's going to show it from the Bible, but I just have never seen it. Um, there's another time as well, too, and, and, and uh, let me just put this up before we get off of Joseph Smith. Um, he says, again, teachings of the prophet in page 372, many men say there's one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are only one God. I say that is a strange God anyhow. Three in one, 
One in three? It's a curious organization. All are to be crammed into one God according to sectarianism. That's us, by the way, Doris. <laughs> it, would, it would make the biggest God in all the world. I agree. He would be a wonderfully big God. I agree. Mm -hmm. He would be a giant or a monster. Uh, I disagree. No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I disagree. But, but it's not an uncommon comment when people uh, uh, find Jesus, when they leave the Mormon church, um, and they un start to understand who God is. Uh, Lynn Wilder used to say this over and over again. She'd say, God, I finally discovered God is so much bigger yes. than I ever thought. Yes. So much bigger. He's not just some... You know, well-achieved man who's ahead of me. He, yeah. He's a big he's guy. Huge. So Joseph Absolutely. Smith had it right, but a monster, no. Not a monster. But a wonderful, enticing opportunity for us as creations to be able to understand this God who's limitless and huge and, and curious and just dynamic and wow, we're not just and he invites us to know and, him. And he that's wants exactly what he wants. Yeah. So it seems that the Mormonism's criticism of the Trinity is, is more like a distraction from a much larger biblical conflict. Yeah, it, that's exactly true. And we, you know, we end up spin, spinning our wheels nitpicking about so many issues. But, um, but here, here's the real conflicts about the nature of God that we really need to focus on uh, when we talk about the Trinity. One is God, God is eternal and unchanging. I'm not making this up. Right. I'm not quoting Nicaea. This is in the Bible. Exactly. Uh, and, uh, and yet, uh, that said, that means he was never a man. Uh-huh. Uh, and by the way, a little sidelight, if he was a man, there's a possibility he was a sinful man that he repented his way out of. Mm -hmm. So my God, who's the God of the universe right now, was once a man who could have been sinning like me? Well, according to eternal progression that they teach, yes. That, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But that's not a God I really am looking forward to worshiping. It can't be. Uh, it <laughs> no. can't be. And then secondly... Uh, and this is profound, there's only one God, not many, only one, not according to Jim or to Doris or to some church fathers. We read it, and it's, it's a theme throughout the entire Bible. In fact, the greatest verse in the Old Testament for Jews is, Deuteron is in Deuteronomy 6, and it's, it's called the great Shema. Shema mm -hmm. means hear, listen in Hebrew, mm -hmm. and it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Right. Is one. one you walk up to a Jew and you ask him, how many gods are there? One. Great Shema. Deuteronomy 6. So, so this, is, this is a theme that goes all the way from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Thirdly, uh, God does not have a body of flesh and blood. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't have a body of no, flesh and doesn't. blood. Because we don't want him to? No, because the Bible says that. Right. And it's actually very clear about that. Um, let me, Doctrine and Covenants makes this claim about, uh, about God in Doctrine and Covenants 130, verse 22. It says, the Father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They claim, and yet you go to John 4, where Jesus is standing with the woman at the well, mm -hmm. and they're discussing, where do I physically have to be to worship God? Do I physically need to be in Jerusalem where the temple is? Do, can I physically be up here in Samaria where we have our high place? I mean, where do I physically have to be? Because your people, she says to him, your people says I have to be down there. Mm -hmm. And Jesus says, no. And why? Well, because of this, John 4, 24, because God is a spirit. Right. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. If he's mm -hmm. a spirit and not physical in that sense, then I don't have to go looking for him in Jerusalem or in Samaria or in Salt Lake City or anywhere. He can be anywhere. Everywhere, right. all the time. And Jesus said after he was resurrected, a spirit does not have flesh and bones. Exactly, exactly. So, so here Jesus is very explicit. God is a spirit. He's a spirit. Mm -hmm. And so this flesh and bones thing that Joseph Smith is promoting 
is it's just not biblical. And, and I'm not again. We have to keep reemphasizing. He's not just in conflict with sectarian Christians. He's in conflict with verses we read in the with Bible. With the entire Bible, exactly. Right. It yeah. is. Okay. And then, and then let me do one more. Um, uh, the last point on all these things where we violate is the idea that God can change. You know, if, if, God, if God had a human origin and he worked his way out of the human origin, and now he's a really good guy in that sense, uh, then he changes. God changes. Uh-huh. Uh, same is true for Jesus because in that exactly. same doctrine, Jesus was lesser at one point and worked his way up to being quite accomplished and our elder brother. But the Bible says that just doesn't go. He, uh, Hebrews 13.8 is probably one of the clearest places, but you can find many of these verses. Mm-hmm. G- Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and mm-hmm. forever. Mm-hmm. He does not progress. He didn't progress to get where he's at now, and he's not going to continue to progress past that. But he is who he is and always has been. We, mm-hmm. we read a couple of verses already about uh, God saying, I am the beginning and the end. Mm-hmm. Revelation, we, we use the Greek letters, Alpha and Omega, right. which means, you know, what is before the beginning? Nothing. He is the beginning. God. Yeah, yeah, just God. So, so Jesus says that. God says that. Jesus says this actually literally in Revelation, I'm the Alpha and Omega. And then God says it first person in Isaiah. I kind of go, so which one is the first one? Yeah, well, which they one? Both are. And and in the Trinity, it can be that way. They both are. So there's huge differences between, obviously, the Mormon idea of God, including the the Mormon fundamentalists, and the biblical idea of God. So summarize it for us. I I read a great summary. I just love this. There was a guy who does a blog for, I think it's the New York Times. Yeah, for the New York Times. He he wrote this last September. And he's he's an outsider to Mormonism. He's also an outsider to Christianity. But he was looking in at Mormonism because, you know, the... The musical was going on in New York at the time, and uh, still is Book of Mormon musical. But he's he's looking into he's looking into it, and he's trying to understand what Mormons believe about God. And this is how he summarized it. So I put it on the screen here. Uh, this is uh, Simon Critchley is the guy who coined this. I really like this. He says Joseph Smith's God is plural and finite. The biblical God is unitary and infinite. Wow. And I think that's just a great way to summarize it. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. It certainly does. I'd recommend you read that. His article is called Why I Love Mormonism. And he's not a Mormon. It's a, it's a great article. I mean, I really, I really enjoyed it. It's wonderful. But that's a great summary. So what does this matter? I mean, uh, what do theolo- is it only the theologians who should care? Why should we care if God is one or three or if he's limited or unlimited? or, or What does it matter? What's it yeah. all about? Well, it, it matters a lot. If you remember how many times Jesus says uh, to all of the people that are around him, it, it's all about believing who I am. He says that to Nicodemus uh, when Nicodemus comes to the dark of night. He says it to him all the way. The book of John says it so much. Mm-hmm. So the issue is, if you're going to believe in who Jesus is, and belief is essential in so many ways, then you better be believing the right Jesus. You better really be informed about who this Jesus is. And, mm-hmm. uh, and we can be informed. I mean, biblically, it's actually very clear. Yes. Paul, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, he says, you know who Jesus is? He's, here's how it goes. This God who said... You know, who spoke and said, light will shine uh, out of darkness, is the one who shone in our hearts and gave us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Mm-hmm. So when you look at Christ, you're, you're going to be able to do that. You'll be able to see who God is. But the problem is, is if you see God as someone who progressed to where he is, he started as a man and he worked his way up, then uh, your doctrine about how you live from day to day is going to be about you following in his footsteps towards Godhood. 
it, it's, not, it's not really going to be so much about who God is, but how I can be like him, how I can, how I can make myself get to where he is. Um, and that, that really, by far, that's the dominant theme for the followers of Joseph Smith. Mm -hmm. The plan of salvation is how I do what I need to do to make myself like him. Mm -hmm. So it's really about, it's about becoming God rather than being with God. It changes everything. It changes. But in the biblical God, he is so big, so inviting, so open to be wanting to be known. He, he is comprehensible. He is knowable. He wants us to know him. Mm -hmm. That from a Christian's perspective who follows the Bible, the real, the real cool thing is that our, uh, from here to eternity, <laughs> to, that's a wonderful movie, <laughs> but, but from here to eternity, the idea is I get to actually pursue getting to know this huge and marvelous God who I'll never get to the end of understanding. Yeah, so sure. your understanding of God changes. Do I want to live life trying to be like God or do I want to live life trying to figure out how I can enjoy him forever and be with him. Relational versus So, so be, it's being with God or being like God. And that's a huge difference. And, oh. you know, that's a, actually, it's a very beautiful difference. Yeah. And, and, and Jesus came so that we might know who he is. We might be tantalized by understanding who this God is, this spirit God who created the universe. He wants to invite us to know him. I mean, that, that's really, that's the message of the Bible, front to back, is that God wants to be known by mm -hmm, us. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a problem with sin. We could talk a lot about that. It keeps us from him. But the, uh, but the thing is, I'm saved from the consequences of my sin, saved from sin, saved to enjoying fellowship to enjoy with God. God. If you miss the second exactly. half of that, you've missed the entire thrust of the Bible. Mm -hmm. That's I'm what he wants. Not for us to God. try and make ourselves God. That's a different thrust. It is. It, it certainly is. You know, there's a lot to cover, and we're halfway through the show. We need to take our break. We do, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to open up our telephone lines now. Our number is 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Now, we do realize that this can be um, a kind of a difficult subject to deal with, and, and so we invite you to call in, ask your questions, make your comments, disagree if you want. But, I, but please, if you do disagree, don't call in and yell at us. And don't refuse to let us have a two-way conversation or we will disconnect you. But we would love to hear from you. 801-973-8820. And we are going to take our break now and show you our ministry message. Thank you. You are watching Polygamy, What Love Is This? Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This program is the broadcast outreach of A Shield and Refuge Ministry. Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877 425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com We want you to know that we have made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website www.whatloveisthis.tv There you will find the DVD Lifting the Veil of Polygamy which documents the real-life stories told firsthand of those who were lifted out of the culture of polygamy through the power and love of Jesus Christ. Also, free of charge to you is the booklet, Is Polygamy Biblical? It explores plural marriage in the context of God's Word and answers questions like, Did God ever command polygamy? 
Is it part of God's plan? While you are at our website, make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream on demand directly to your computer. There are more than 100 shows to choose from. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. Simply follow the links to the live streaming video page. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen. Welcome back to our show. This is uh, Polygamy, What Love Is This? I'm your host, Doris Hansen, and we are speaking with our guest, the pastor of Main Street Church in Brigham City, uh, Pastor Jim Catlin, and we're discussing the difficult doctrine, but the beautiful doctrine of the Trinity. We have opened our phone lines. Our number is 801-973-TV20. We invite you to call in and share with your comments or your questions regarding our topic tonight, and we do ask that you stay on topic. You know, I do have a chart of biblical references to the Father. It's a full sheet of paper of the Father being God, the biblical references that Jesus Christ is God, and the biblical references that the Holy Spirit is God, and the biblical references that teach us there's only one God. And of course, this is what the Trinity is all about. You can find that posted on our website, whatloveisthis.tv. Uh, go on to our website and just scroll down just a little bit and click on show notes and references and you can download that in a PDF format or if you'd like to email tv at aboutpolygamy.com I'd love to send it to you, email it back to you in PDF format and then you can have your own references or you can do your own Bible study on the Trinity. Um, and Jim, do you have recommend any good books that someone can read about this? Yes, a wonderful book that was just published last year. It's called Delighting in the Trinity. Uh, it's made, oh yeah, here's, here's Doris's marked up copy. <laughs> I think we've got a picture of the cover. By, it's by Michael Reeves, there we go. Yeah. And uh, it's, just, it's just a wonderful book. Most people think a book about the Trinity, oh, that's a yawner, you know, but it's a delightful <laughs> yeah. book. So uh, if you really have lots of questions or want to pursue it deeper, see if we're lying, yeah. uh, look at this, it's yeah. a great book. It is, it's very good, I really yeah. enjoy it. Well, what has the, the LDS Church taught publicly about the Trinity or against the Trinity? Or against the Trinity? Well, this is, this is relatively recent. This is like five or six years ago. The, um, uh, uh, Jeffrey Holland, Elder Holland, he went and gave a presentation at the October General Conference in 2007. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and here's, let me just give you a clip. You, listen to this and you tell me what you think he's saying. We'll review his words in a second, but just here he is. Here he is at the conference in 2007. And there is, of course, that always deferential subordination to his father that had Jesus say, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. My Father is greater than I. Okay, so um, let me just review what he said. Let me put his words up on the screen right here. And uh, let me tell you uh, wh why this sort of enrages me. I'm, I'm controlling myself. Here's the words. <laughs> this is what he said. I'm just, he, I'm, we're not putting up anything he hasn't just said. He said, um, and there is, of course, that always deferential subordination to his father that had Jesus say, and this is, he's quoting Jesus, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. 
my father is greater than I. Mm. Okay, now let's leave that up for a second, you'll see. Mm -hmm. So he's quoting Jesus, why callest thou me good? There's none that's good but one, that is God, my father's greater than I. Now you look at that and say, well, it sounds like Jesus is saying what Elder Holland is saying, there's a subordination issue, um, which by the way, there is no subordination issue between Jesus and the Father. If, if you go to Philippians 2, 6, he right. says, you know, he's equal with God. He's, you know, he's mm -hmm. isatheo, he's equal with God. But he's saying he's subordinate. And it looks like if you're quoting Jesus here, that's what Jesus is saying. Well, let me clue you in here. Many times we get, we get criticized because we take things out of context. And Elder Holland, we caught him red-handed taking some things out of context. And let me show you exactly what I'm talking about. He, he put... Two quotes from Jesus side by side mm -hmm. that come from two completely different Gospels. Yep. Hoping that putting them side by side, you'd think something. Here's, here's how he did it. And uh, uh, he put it, the first quote he comes from Matthew 19. Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, that is God, Matthew 19. And then Elder Holland jumps way over to John 14 and appends to that, my father is greater than I. Now, if you put those side by side, it makes it look like Jesus is subordinating himself to the Father. Mm -hmm. If you go back in the context of each one of those phrases separately, you find out Jesus is saying exactly the opposite. Yes. And, uh, and I don't, we don't really have time to talk about the Matthew one as much. Um, but the second one, the John passage, you know, most biblical Christians, when they want to talk about the, the issue of the Trinity, they go to that passage in John 14 because that's where, uh, that's where Jesus just... He lets it all out. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he, uh, he goes as far as saying earlier in that passage, he says, you know, if you've seen me, you've, you've seen the seen Father, the father right. Philip. I mean, it's just, mm -hmm. just breaths before he says this. Um, so that's not subordination. That's, that's equality. He says in verse 11 of that chapter, he says that I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. That doesn't sound like one's above or one's below. Right. That sounds kind of co-equal. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, and then he says a fascinating thing in that same chapter. He's talking about the coming of the, of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. Uh, the Father shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. And then just two sentences later, he says, and we, Jesus and the Father, we will come unto him, into you, mm -hmm. and make our abode with him. So in the one breath, he says, Holy Spirit will make your abode with you. And now I and the Father will make our abode as well. Well, how There's, can that physically be if God's got a physical an, body? Yeah, that's an equality there. Absolutely. So, yeah. so anyway, I'm just absolutely. saying I, I would encourage our listeners to go to those two passages. Again, it's Matthew 19, 17 and John 14. And look and see that actually Jesus is making a very strong statement to the opposite of what Elder Holland put these two. I mean, he just puzzled these two together. Right. And says, look, Jesus, to make it sound Jesus like is saying he he's saying, subordinate, and he's right. not. And that's true. Okay. Yeah. Well, we do have a lot of calls here, uh, Jim, that we Great. need to get to. One is an off-the-air call, and he or she is asking, does Jesus still have a body today? And why do we quote Luke 24? I see Luke 24. 24, 39. Uh, yeah, I would say he does. Um, it's, it's not really much of an issue, to tell you the truth. He ascended into heaven in a body, he so into there's heaven no body. reason to think he doesn't still have it. And the, the images uh, that John gives us in Revelation of Jesus is as a, you know, the wounds. You can see the wounds, mm -hmm. a lamb that's wounded. So mm -hmm. there's something about the crucifixion itself that even throughout eternity and in Revelation, Jesus still bears those marks. Mm -hmm. So I would tend to say yeah. he has a body. I don't really yeah. know what the point of the question is. Well, they didn't say. <laughs> they didn't say. And that verse might be where he says a, a spirit does not have flesh and bones. And thinking if Jesus oh, is God, be. then what? Yeah. So yeah. anyway, okay, line one, we have Roland calling from Provo. Hello, Roland. Roland. Roland, you need to turn your TV volume down or we'll go to the oh, next caller. I'm here. Hello. Is your TV volume down? Okay. Is your I, I will. Is I, your yes, I will. 
turn your volume down and we'll go to the next okay. caller. Can you hear me now? Uh, I can hear you. Yes. It, what's your question? The question was, I, this, this God, God, God concept has been through the ringer here by everybody that comes on, on TV here uh, against uh, Joseph Smith and so on. And like I said, uh, I, I'm, I'm just an 87-year-old uh, single senior here. I was in the kitchen. I didn't, I'm not prepared as you are, but when I read the Bible here a little bit, uh, Paul, in his letters, in each when he addresses the, the congregation, he, he refers to God and him. For instance, to see in the Galatians, he said, uh, uh, Paul and the pastors, not of men, uh, by man, but by Jesus Christ, and God the Father, and raised him, who raised him from the dead. There's two different people. In, you, you can look at all the other letters. In all the beginning of when he greets the congregation, he says, from God, God and God the Father and for me, so there's two. And I, I don't understand the resurrection. Uh, how can Jesus be resurrected with a with a body and go up to a to a Father who is who is the Spirit? I mean, that doesn't that doesn't chime, you know. They were both have bodies of of bone. That when when Jesus was praying to the Father in the Garden of Eden. And he said, Father, a classic question. So you know that more than I do. I'm not prepared here for all your words. Okay. Uh, but okay. when, when he, in the Garden of Eden, he said, Father, let this go for me. Who was he turned? Was he a ventriloquist? Was he talking to? Who was he talking to? Okay. Or when, when, when the father introduced the son, Roland, he said, this is my beloved son, hear him. Roland, we're going to, we're going to disconnect you, and, the, and G Pastor Jim will answer your sure. question. Thank you. Yeah, I, this is a common confusion, and I don't know why it is, but Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane is the only passage of Scripture that Mormons will talk to me about the Trinity. Yeah. It must be the only one that's talked about. Yeah, well, it's the one they criticize. Uh, Roland, I, I think the issue is, I understand how you're saying, I, I don't get it, there's, there's two persons here that are relating to each other, and we never said that Jesus and the Father were not two persons. I mean, they do relate to one another. There actually is fellowship with them. Mm -hmm. Those same passages in John, John 13, 14, 15, Jesus talks about the love that he has for the Father and the Father has for him. You say, mm -hmm. ah, well, there it is. There's two different persons. Well, there are different persons in God, but God is still but one. But God is still one. And that, I think that's the tricky thing for us to get around. I mm -hmm. had so many Mormons, had a missionary tell me, well, who, who, was God, who was Jesus talking to when he was praying? Was he talking to himself? No, he was talking to God the Father, the right. other part of the, the person of the Trinity. Mm -hmm. uh, but, the, but don't forget, just because they're having this conversation and they love one another and they enjoy one another doesn't mean they're not co-equal. It doesn't mean that they're not both, you know, eternally existent. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean all those other things. And that they're eternally. But God. there is something we don't quite grasp, and I, that's okay with me about the fact that God is not alone. He has fellowship between the Son and the Father, and has even before we were Through created. Through the Holy Spirit, exactly. Yeah. Okay, line two. We have Jack calling from Orem. Hello, Jack. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. What's your question? Uh, well, you know, I get it. First off, hats off to both of you because some of these questions you get, I mean, they're colorful sometimes. And uh, this is the first time I've ever watched your show, and maybe it's a sign. I don't know. I was changing the, changing the channels and bumped into you. Anyway, I guess my question is, um, I'm from Canada originally, so coming here for uh, employment reasons and for, for my work has been a real culture shock for me. I mean, this is LDS Central. I mean, this is the, this is the epicenter, I guess you can say, for Mormons. So... Um, and I work with colleagues that are LDS as well, and they've invited me to uh, conferences in Salt Lake City and so forth. But I guess my major question is, when we're talking about the Bible here tonight, how do we know <clears throat> um, if 
for a certainty that, that that's that's true as well. I mean, it's been translated so many different times. It's been, uh, from my understanding, it's been, I've, uh, I'm, I don't have any religious affiliation. Um, I kind of believe in do unto your neighbors you'd have done to yourself and try to do my best every day. Um, but it's really difficult because, uh, you know, the LDS will say this is my inter- our interpretation of it, and then just this evening the pastor is saying this is what it means. So where do we really draw the line and find it for ourselves who's right, what's right? And another thing that I've really noticed, too, just on a side note, is that while I do not affiliate with these folks, um, I never see them having any, any shows or broadcasts that uh, give any undue service to other faiths. Yet when I've moved down here, I've seen a lot of different programs that are kind of centering them out and saying what they do wrong or what they, you know, what they could do better. But I've only seen them going to conference. When I went to conference a couple times, I went. They're always saying, uh, you know, they're inviting people from other faiths to come and see what they can add and change, you know, yeah. and those type of things. So yeah. that's just a comment more than a question, I guess, that I've seen. But the first one, getting back to the Bible, how do we know, um, you know, the pastor's interpretation of it versus somebody else's? Okay. That's a great question, Jack. I think... Um, uh, how would you how would you reinterpret what we read in Isaiah when God says I don't know of any other gods? There's and there no is other no other god. I mean, it's a, they, that's a very clear interpretation. You can say, well, other people disagree with you. Well, they don't disagree with me. They they disagree with this very straight language that we read. That's why we brought out such. Mm-hmm. And he said it clear. over and over and over yeah. again, chapters yeah. 42 through 46, he just... Yeah, and that's, that's another major, that's a major piece of how you interpret the Bible. See what it says across the span of the Bible, not just mm-hmm. one verse, because false mm-hmm. religions have pulled out one verse and created the craziest things you can ever yeah. believe. But yeah, it's a theme that comes out if it's important, and the theme about the Bible is there is only one God. So I, I, that's what I would say. I, you know, look at it and you read it for yourself. We would encourage you, don't believe us. Yeah. Uh, we read it, and we're just telling you, this is what we read. How do you take it when God says there's no other God? And so uh, there is differences in interpretation in some things, and I'll admit to that. But, uh, but when it gets down to it, when God wants to be utterly clear about who he is, he is utterly clear. Mm-hmm. Um, the, problem w- the problem in this culture is the fact that uh, Joseph Smith and others have reinforced the idea that they have revelation that's outside of that. But I don't think I don't think most of the followers of Joseph Smith know really how far afield from the Bible that, that stuff that's is. Actually come. So we're just asking you to read it. And and one thing I'd like to note here too is that the Bible interprets itself. Yes. We don't interpret the right, Bible; right. it interprets itself. And if and if you can if you study the Bible from cover to cover and and compare the New Testament and the Old Testament, which explains a lot, that you will find what passages mean just by comparing them with what the rest of the Bible says about that particular topic. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just add one thing too. The, can you trust the Bible? Uh, of course, I'm biased. I'll tell you yes. <laughs> but I'll also tell you this. There is more documentary evidence about uh, the, the origins of what was written in the original autographs. It's so much more that, that uh, people who do textual criticism start to look at the Bible and say, well, this has just got to be a crock. This can't be right. And then mm-hmm. they're blown away. They're blown away by how many ancient language documents we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, here, we were just talking about the Council of Nicaea. You know, the Council of Nicaea was 325 A.D. 
And yet I can tell you the five-point agenda they had, 325 mm -hmm. AD. I can tell you the things they talked about. I can tell you about all the different passages of Scripture, some we use today, mm -hmm. that they used to debate, how do we think about God? And that's 325 AD. Yeah, that's a long time so, ago. So we, have, we still great, have those we have, records. We have more original language documents that are ancient for the New Testament than we have for all of Plato, Aristotle, and everything that Caesar ever wrote. So, you know, if you want to doubt the origins of the Bible based on documentary evidence, you better throw away Aristotle and Plato because they only have this much. Yeah, yeah. The comparison's and mind blowing. Yeah, and they don't um, conflict with what people want to believe. Okay, yeah. uh, line three, we have Brian in Bountiful. Hello, Brian. Hello, I just wanted to say it's confusing that that the Mormons believe that a woman and a man is God, but then at the same time they believe the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost is God. So they believe that the Holy Ghost is God and that the Heavenly Father is God? Yeah, they, they believe that a man and a woman becomes a God. Right. That's a God. And, and, and at the same time they believe the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost is God. They believe that they're all three gods. Right, that there's three yeah. separate gods. They, they believe they're all three gods, but they believe when a man and a woman goes to the temple, they become a god. And that, that's what a god is to them, is a man and a woman. When they go do the everlasting covenant, that makes them a god. Yeah, and that's eternal progression. That's taught that if you if you do your temple ordinances, all that stuff, and you do the right things, and you choose the right continually, and blah, 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 that eventually you can elevate yourself. Mm -hmm. You can elevate yourself through your accomplishments and to progress. Godhood. Uh, we never quite... It doesn't, it doesn't make sense that they believe that three men are God, but then they believe that a man and a woman is God, too. I didn't catch all that. I didn't catch, <laughs> I didn't catch what you said either. But I think the fundamental problem here isn't the divinity, uh, isn't the, divin the supernatural divinity of the Holy Spirit or Jesus, Heavenly Father. The fact that we're saying is that biblically those are one God. That's one God in three different persons, mm -hmm. one God. And that, and that has to be because the Bible says it has to mm -hmm. be that. Yeah, not yeah, that. Yeah, I God. believe that. But I, what I'm saying is they, they believe that a man in the room is God. Well, and that brings up an interesting point. <laughs> if God says, I don't know any other gods, what about Heavenly Mother, who's procreating with Heavenly Father all the spirit babies that come into our world? Is she a god? I don't, I don't really yeah, know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, okay, that's okay. Okay, yeah. well, that's a good question. Yeah, Heavenly Mother is kept out of this entire picture, and I would presume she has some kind of divine nature well, by she, now. Yeah, she would have to. But that's she not talked to. about. That's that's an embarrassing. Well, it, it none of it makes sense, and that's that's why. What what um, what what would be the difference? Speak to this. Uh, the the two statements that there's one God, and three persons making one God, or mm -hmm. that there's one Godhead and three gods in the Godhead. What's what is the difference? What, uh, one God right. with three right. the Trinity, <laughs> right. which is the Trinity we've been right. talking about, or the Mormon version where there's one Godhead and three gods. Yeah, well, you know, technically that's not such a big deal, except for the fact if there really is only one God who is, is supreme, then, then how do you rank all these other little gods? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And the other thing is, is there only one who is the beginning? Or are there many that they're beginning? Uh, Jesus, Jesus from Mormon doctrine, Jesus is a created creature. He's just the first 
offspring of Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. He's a created creature. Right. Well, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't jive in terms of what the Bible says. So the issue is, is you've got, biblically speaking, it's actually very simple. You have creation, that's all of us, this place we're sitting, the living, breathing beings and stuff like that. And you have the creator. And there is only one creator who is non-created, who is eternal. Mm -hmm. And that's God, the one, mm -hmm. which includes the three persons of the Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father, and Jesus. Okay. Uh, we have another caller waiting, but but I'm wondering if we could ask to her to leave her number and we could call her back because I'd like you to take all of this that we've been talking about and what what is what does this really mean? I mean, give us a summary of the importance of uh, what this is all about, of believing this correctly. Yeah, we don't just want to be theologically sound biblically, but it, but the heart of the message of the Bible is there's a God out there who created us who started creation, who created us because he wants to include us into the love and the fellowship that's already within God. Mm -hmm. oh, he's not that's a lonely God. Right. He seems to be doing just fine, thank you. Uh -huh, eternally. <laughs> and then he graciously he opens up and wants to include us in that so that he creates us in his image so that we, are, we can be in a way that we can have fellowship with him and enjoy him and know him. And for me, I, one of the most uh, best expressions of what this is is in Psalm 73, um, and the psalmist in Psalm 73 um, says in a very tender way, and I'm using a more modern translation um, because it says it better. He says, but as for me, this is Psalm 73, 28, as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I've made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Wow. Now that's, that's a person who delights in who God is. Mm -hmm. And the message through all the Bible is, there's a God, there's a creator who delights in you, who loves you tremendously, who wants mm -hmm. to include you in the wonderful adventure of getting to know him. And you know, you and I have both made this step of giving our lives to the Lord. And it's, it's real. You, there actually, you really can have a real relationship. It's not an imaginary friend. Right, exactly. <laughs> he makes me laugh. He makes me cry. I mean, mm -hmm. this is a real relationship. I don't know any other relationship in my entire experience with as much depth and as much joy and, I, and I just, fulfillment. And fulfillment. Absolute fulfillment. And so what the, what the writer of Psalm 73 said, I echo perfectly. The nearness of God is my good. What a horrible distraction it is to spend my time trying to be like him instead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, instead of being, instead of uh, trying to know him, or trying to be like yeah, him. Yeah, and such that's, a difference that's what the multiple that. gods, no human origin, that's what sucks you into that. It is. Yeah. And this culture, yeah, we weren't taught any of these things growing up, so it was quite amazing to me when I discovered I could have a personal relationship with God. Yeah. And it's, the relationship is uh, pretty amazing. It's dynamic and real. It and is. And I, I ask people, who is this that I have fallen in love with? If I it can't, I, I can't have made him up. No, there's, no. There's life-giving. So. We didn't make him up, and, and he's there, and he invites you as well. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming and sharing. And whirlwind uh, tour. We whirlwind <laughs> tour for sure. You know, uh, we talked about the Samaritan woman on the show tonight. When Jesus met the Samaritan woman in John chapter four, they had a discussion about religion. The Samaritans believed differently than their neighboring Jews believed, and she tried to imply uh, to Jesus that their beliefs were just as valid as uh, were the Jews, and this. This, of course, often happens in our own culture. But Jesus very clearly told the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, verse 22, you worship, you know not what. 
we know what we worship because salvation is of the Jews. Jesus had no qualms explaining to the Samaritan woman that her beliefs were wrong and explained to her where salvation comes from. And you know what? She didn't retaliate by accusing Jesus of bashing, but instead she believed and got saved. Jesus said salvation is of the Jews. He didn't say salvation was of polygamy or that of any particular church system. Jesus wants all people to understand who he is. He was born a Jew, their Messiah, which means he is God. There is only one God, and that one God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our God is a trinity, a solid biblical teaching. Do you know what? Humans are Trinitarian. We're body, soul, and spirit, but nobody seems to argue with that. The Trinity can be difficult to understand, but if we had a God small enough uh, to understand, then he wouldn't be big enough to solve our problems, especially our problem of sin. But he's a big God, and he has, uh, has dealt with sin, and he has won the battle of sin, and he won that battle on the cross. If we expect to be in heaven with him, we must also trust him and believe he is who he said he is. Thank you, and good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again. 